Well, good evening, church, and welcome back to our Sunday night teaching time. We're looking at the parables, lessons from heaven for life on earth. This is part eight. Tonight, the title is Finding Joy When You Find Jesus. Finding Joy When You Find Jesus. Two brief parables in Matthew 13, verses 44, 45, and 46. Just three verses for two parables. Jesus is again explaining what the kingdom of God is like, what finding the kingdom is like. So he had the parable of the soils, where the seed is the word landing on the soil. Some 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold in good soil, but then the obstacles that keep the seed from really rooting in our hearts. Wayside soil that's hard and packed down. Soil that has rocks under the surface so the roots can't penetrate. The unseen parts of our lives no one else knows about, but they keep the kingdom of God and the word of God from doing its work in our hearts. And then that third soil where there's thistles and thorns, they grow up and they choke the seed. And Jesus says there's, there's cares and concerns of life. There's the love of riches. All of these things can, can make the word unfruitful, distract us from its power. And then there's good soil that receives the word with understanding, embraces it, and the word has this wonderful power to multiply, magnify its effects. There's great hope there beyond whatever I think I can expect from myself in terms of spiritual growth. Maybe you feel the same way. I'm just pretty average Joe, Pastor Don. But the word rightly received can magnify its effects long, way above my own abilities and expectations. It's a wonderful promise there. Then we looked at the parable of the other sower that comes and puts weeds in among the wheat, among the crop, so that the word is not the only thing that can grow in my heart. And then Jesus says there's another sower who sows weeds, enemies of the kingdom, opposition to the word. Even when it's rightly received, there's still going to be opposition because there's another kingdom. There's another sower. There are forces, individuals, people, people groups that push back against the kingdom of God. Unless we think that's a discouraging picture, Jesus moves on and he has these two parables about finding joy in the kingdom of God. Let me read it again. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, treasure, hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. 45. Again, Jesus still speaking. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. When I was still in Bible school back in the day when dinosaurs roamed the earth, one large North American denomination launched a huge um, evangelistic campaign is what we used to call them. And it was designed to attract the attention of unchurched people in our communities. The idea was Christians all across Canada were given little buttons that said, I found it, just those three words. 
So you'd wear this button. The idea was that as you wore your button to work or to university or to the mall, people would be curious. They'd see you with this I found it button and they'd come up and say, found what? What's that button all about? And in theory, see, that would give you the opportunity, a wide open door at their request to present the gospel. You found Christ. Interesting. I mean, whatever good was accomplished in this, and I imagine there was some good, there, there was something, I think, incomplete in that kind of presentation of the gospel. And I think you can see, as we study through these parables in Matthew 13, Jesus deals with this whole subject of how the kingdom, salvation and all of its phases, how the kingdom begins in our hearts. Remember the parable of the four soils? I just talked about it. But the thing is, most people, three out of four, statistically in Jesus' parable, three out of four don't receive the message of the kingdom deeply enough. Three out of four. I mean, it doesn't actually stay rooted in their lives. There's no power. There's no fruit. Then you have that parable of the other sower, who sows weeds among the wheat, and that teaches us that there will be people who will seriously oppose the growth of the kingdom. Satan, he's the one, Jesus says in that parable, who sows enemies of the kingdom, and Jesus braces followers such as I, that in this real world in which we live, there's going to be a lot of pushback against the kingdom of God. So then, now, in these little treasure parables, let's just call them that, Jesus underscores the fact that just finding the kingdom isn't enough for anybody. I found it. Both the farmer who bumps into the treasure in the ground and the businessman with his quest for the special pearl of great price They found something special. In the parable, the farmer sort of finds it by accident. The pearl searcher, he finds it by diligently looking. But those differences aside, the message is the same. Finding the treasure, finding the pearl is nothing in and of itself. Possessing it, that's a more difficult task. But possession is what it's all about. So if there's anything Jesus is highlighting here, it's it's this. When it comes to life in his kingdom, there's a world of difference between just finding treasure and possessing treasure. I have four lessons I'm hoping we can draw out of this parable. Let's go through them quickly. Point number one. Finding Christ is the greatest most joyous discovery a person can ever make. This is true whether one finds him almost by happenstance, like the farmer digging in the ground and he bumps into that buried treasure, or whether the discovery of Christ and his kingdom comes at the end of a long, diligent search, like the pearl merchant, he's traveling the world looking for that one special gem, Either way, Jesus is saying finding him is 
Finding him is the one great discovery that separates him from everything else. Encountering Christ makes everything else you have lived for seem small. That's what Jesus is saying. We're meant to sense just the sheer excitement of finding treasure, the the unbounded joy. So the search, the search ends for that farmer, for that business person looking for the great pearl. The search ends because both these people know there is nothing else greater that they can search for. They found the ultimate. Is, is that, is that your assessment of the glory of Christ? It, it, does that describe your relationship to him? Is, is, is the life of Jesus in your soul the greatest source of your joy and satisfaction in life? Does your work give you more meaning than your faith? Does wealth bring more zeal to your day than your walk with Christ? Do you look forward more to Friday and Saturday than going to church on Sunday? Do you read the sports page for fun and just read the Bible out of duty? That's the issue of this parable. If an outsider were to come to one of your children with you not present, and if this outsider said to your kids, what gives your mom and dad the most pleasure in this world? What would your kids say? Would they say, boy, you know what? They just live for the things of God. They, they can't seem to get enough when it comes to following and serving Jesus. They're just fanatical about his kingdom. They're more excited about going to God's house than Disneyland. You just can't pry them away from that one goal of putting Christ's kingdom above everything else. I mean, sure, they love the boat and the swimming pool and the trips to Europe, but nothing lights up their face more than serving Jesus. They'd drop everything else in a heartbeat. Is that what they'd say? See, those aren't really, I know they're strange, but they aren't insignificant questions. They speak much about what is happening in all of our hearts. And if you think I'm exaggerating, listen to how Paul describes his Christian life after years of following the Lord. Here's what Paul says, Philippians 3, 7 and 8. As you read these verses with me, think of those questions that these people would ask your kids about your priorities. Here's what Paul says, Philippians 3, 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because because of the surpassing worth. Do you think of the treasure now? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Was that hard for you, Paul? No, I count them as rubbish. Wow. I count them as rubbish 
That's not the bad things in Paul's life. That's the best things in Paul's life. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Notice, a lot of people miss, notice the tenses Paul uses with his verbs in those verses. First in verse 7, when he first came to Christ, he says, I counted those things as loss. It's very significant. So now, after years of serving the Lord, in verse 8, I count all things to be loss. What's he doing? He's reminding himself. I counted these things as loss when I came to Christ. Years later, I still count all those things as rubbish. So he, he reminds himself. He keeps his heart in exactly the same spot in terms of zeal. He keeps his heart in that same place of excitement as when he first started out. There, there's been no uh, diminishing of passion in his love for Christ. He's maturing, certainly, but he's not cooling. That's the description of a man who found this great treasure of the kingdom. And these two people in Jesus' parables, they seem to meet with his wholehearted approval, the way Jesus tells the story. Jesus is saying, here is a person to pattern your life after. Here is a person who knows what's worth possessing. Follow that example. Okay, we got to move on. Point number two. This is a really important point. The heart only has room for one ultimate treasure. Notice, the farmer, he has to sell everything else before he can buy that land that has the treasure. The pearl merchant... In the story, Jesus tells it very deliberately, he has to sell everything else before he can buy that pearl of great price. That's what Jesus wants us to notice. Finding treasure is easy. Possessing it is costly. Now, Jesus could tell these stories any way he wanted. They're his parables. But but in each case, he deliberately puts the cost of the treasure and the pearl just high enough that neither purchaser could afford it without parting with the other possessions. Jesus wants the story told that way. That's, that's what it costs to follow Jesus. That's what it costs to possess the kingdom. The kingdom is joyous, to be sure. In his joy, he sells all that he has. It's joyous, to be sure, but it's never said to be easy. Don't confuse those two things. This this point is made, I think, particularly clearly with the parable of the pearl merchant. Because Jesus' story makes clear that this man had already built quite a successful business possessing other gems. That's what verse 45 says. He had already come across and purchased quite a few other fine pearls, and he was out to acquire more. So he had quite a bit. That's why he's on this search. He had planned to find more gems, more pearls, and he wanted to add add those things to his collection. That was his plan. I'm going to add to my collection. 
But when he comes across this particular pearl, he realizes that his previous plan isn't going to work. He can't add this pearl to his collection. He has to get rid of the collection to purchase the pearl. Do you see the point? It was of greater value than he had previously anticipated. He actually had to sell all his previous treasures if he wanted that pearl of great price. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, Don, I need to remember this. The treasure of the kingdom can't be held along with other treasures in the heart. The pearl of great price can't be put on display along with all the other pearls you've already collected. Jesus leaves room for one all-consuming passion. So this kingdom won't be had by people who just like it. The kingdom won't be had by people who just admire the teaching of Jesus and the golden rule. The kingdom won't be had by those who merely wish they could grow in the kingdom. Those desires are just too low, too small, too cool. The kingdom is within reach, but everything else has to be sold to possess it. Okay, point number three. To possess the kingdom, you must first esteem its true value. I mean, this is implied in the previous two points, but I wanted to make it specific. Assessing the true value of the kingdom of God and his work of grace in our hearts. According to the scriptures, this is quite a problem for all of us, assessing the value of God's work. I was looking at Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, where the prophet says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy, eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Look at verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Do you think Jesus would come into Cedarview Community Church some Sunday morning? Say it wasn't during, you know, COVID. And so here we are in this building, and it's wall-to-wall, packed seats. Do you think Jesus might walk into his church and just go up and down the aisles and start tapping people on the shoulders? And he'd come up on the platform, and he'd come up to where I was standing, and he'd tap me on the shoulder, and he'd say, Don, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Do you think he'd say that to a whole bunch of us? Why, why do you labor, Don? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent, diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. So the problem the prophet points out is that people... It isn't that people don't know they have needs. That's not hard for us. We know we have needs. People can sense their own emptiness, their own hurts, their own confusion, their own doubts, their own fears, their own shortcomings. We know our needs. What we lack sometimes is a true understanding of what will answer to those needs. What will satisfy the soul? People, according to Isaiah, 
They settle for less than they should. Why do you spend your money for that which isn't bread? Why would anybody do that? People settle for less than they should. They waste their time. They waste their resources on what is temporary, what is appealing but ultimately worthless. So, so that's why Jesus tells the story of this pearl merchant. He, he answers to this particular issue. This pearl merchant knew his business. He could spot a gem when he saw it, and he instantly knew that this one pearl was actually worth more than all he previously possessed. That's why he's in the story. An accurate assessment of the value. That's why Jesus is so obviously pleased with him. This merchant could tell the difference between what had value and what wasn't worth as much. He could tell the best from the second best. He had many fine pearls, but they weren't the best. He could distinguish between what was merely good, nice, and what was truly excellent. And he refused to settle for second best. That's why Jesus has him in the story. Paul, Paul prayed for the same discernment in Cedarview Community Church. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Look at verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. What, what makes people live pure lives? blameless lives, thinking about the second coming. Well, what leads to that is is a discernment. Here's what's best in life. Here's what's most important in life. Here's what I need to give most attention to. Here's what will bring most joy. Paul says, I pray. I pray for a church like Cedarview. Let them have discernment that they'll know what's best. Why do you labor for that which is not bread? There's no sense. Do you know what's the very best in life? Have you streamlined your life to pursue what will beautify your soul, what will satisfy your heart, what will glorify God? Do you, do you know how to see through? Oh, man. Do you know how to see through? When you're watching TV and you see all these celebrities, do you know how to look through that and say, that's just pathetic? Do you know how to do that? Small-minded Christians will always just focus on the crowd. They'll focus on what's allowable, what they can get away with. Those who want to live close to the flame, they just pursue what's most excellent. Took too long with that. Okay, point number four. Joy is the fuel for sacrifice. 1344, Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, covered up, doesn't want anybody else to see it, then in his joy. Those are the three most important words in the whole text. In his joy, he goes, sells all that he has, and he buys that field. There. There is sacrifice, true enough. He has to sell everything he has. But it is sacrifice and it isn't. 
The clue to everything is found in those three words, in his joy. He sells all that he has in his joy. That is from joy over the surpassing value of the treasure. He has discernment. He can see it. In a church like Cedarview, let's just talk about our church. What is it that makes people live holy lives, serve Jesus, give to missions? Well, hopefully, it's joy. Joy is the fuel for holiness. If you just see it as keeping rules and all the things you can't do, you're never going to follow Jesus very successfully for very long. It's treasure. People don't sacrifice for the kingdom because they're told to, at least not for very long. People won't keep the rules of holiness just because someone tells them to. They'll start to resent it. This whole teaching, it goes back to the very first point. Either you see Jesus Christ as treasure or you don't. That's the first step. If you don't value Christ, you really won't serve him joyfully for very long. You'll only obey him when you need something or you want to look good. Go back to the parable of the four soils. You'll see the same truth worded differently over and over. Many people don't see the preciousness of the seed of the kingdom. They're hard and indifferent like wayside soil. Nothing penetrates. Some won't budge. The Holy Spirit speaks to them through the word. The seed lands, but it's just rocks, stones under the surface. They don't want to change. Other people, they love the word, but there's other stuff they love true too also. And the thorns and the thistles grow up and they choke the word. It's the same issue. They value the things of the world and the glitter of riches as much as they value the truth of the kingdom. But but the one soil out of four, in it, Jesus said the seed was received with understanding. That is, I think, when you look at the parables we're studying today, it isn't just understanding the verbs and the nouns and the sentences. It's partly that, but it's more than that. This person understands the treasure. The treasure the worth of the kingdom. Room was made for it. And just as these two men in Jesus' parable, they sold all they had to possess their treasures. That's the kind of heart you have to have. The kind of heart brought to Christ so nothing else will stand in the way of the joy of having the best. Over and over again, my experience is I need to bring my heart back to the simple beauty of these parables of joy, joyfully parting with everything to have the best. That doesn't happen just automatically. Read the word until you start to marvel at the glory of Christ. Wait on your knees until the Holy Spirit allows you to not just know these truths, but actually start to taste them, taste and see that the Lord is good. You you, you can't live the Christian life mechanically. That's what Jesus is saying. In his joy, he sells all that he has. 
You need to be moved upon by the Spirit of God so that your heart is changed. And, and for most of us, let me wrap up this way. We're almost done. How do you get there? And I'm going to suggest three practical steps, just really quick. First, rid your life of competing affections. You will never seriously pursue God when you are stuffed full of other pursuits. And that is a huge problem for North American Christians. Don't need very much. Rid your life of competing affections. Two, spend far more time alone with God in prayer and the word. You, you, you cannot summon a love for something you don't know. Give the Holy Spirit something to work with in terms of increasing your spiritual appetite. And three, confess and make a clean break with anything you know is wicked or sinful in your heart. God will not meet with people who cherish sin. There, those three things. Those three steps will at least start you on your way to discovering not just a religion, but the treasure of Jesus Christ growing and living in your heart. And that's a wonderful thing. Let's pray. Two verses, three parables. Lord, what an amazing, concise assessment of how we need to orient our lives. Thank you that we have your words, Lord Jesus, accurately preserved for our understanding in our Bibles. You are treasure. You are treasure worth having. And parting with anything that gets in the way. So give us uh, our whole church. Give us understanding of these truths and give us a taste for joy. In our walk with you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Join us for our prayer time and love one another.